Lord of the hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give it into your hand. Continuing in our journey of story in Genesis to Revelation. And again, the ways that God's story impacts our own story. The story of David and Goliath is one of the best-known stories, perhaps, in all of the Bible. We, we hear the story of David, this kid who goes up against big, bad Goliath, and it's it's pretty appealing. Folks who hardly know anything about the Bible know something about this story. It is, it is a part of our cultural language, even if you don't go to church. I, I heard it even yesterday. Now, we are in the middle. This is a surprise to a couple people, but we are in the middle of the NCAA basketball tournament. Uh, you know that? Is this new to some of you? Some of you, this might be. Tell me, how, how many people filled out a bracket? Um, there were people in first service, no one in second service. Now, you know Warren Buffett has offered a billion dollars if you get your bracket right. You, you know there's a reason he offered it, because there's no possible way it could possibly come through. So college basketball is in all these playoffs right now, and I heard it even on the news yesterday. North Carolina State upsets number one seed Villanova. They were talking about it being a David and Goliath kind of a story. Most people at least know the bare outline of David and Goliath. It's no wonder that it's such a popular story with kids. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing quite as exciting as a boy defeating a giant. But, um, but it's not a story just for kids. In fact, it has a word for all of us. I, I think that that's one of the dangers of, of the stories that we know so well, is that, is that perhaps we think we have learned them. Perhaps we think we know the message. Israel and the Philistines, they are at war with each other. The armies have assembled. They're on the opposite side of the valleys. And Goliath, the great champion of the Philistines, he goes out and challenges the Israelites. Now, the word champion literally means one who stands in the middle. And that's what he's doing. He's standing in the middle between the two armies, and he's challenging. Come out, Israel. Send a man out and battle him one by one. It's a winner-take-all. If, if Goliath is defeated, Israel wins the battle. If Goliath wins, the Philistines win the battle. Now, this kind of representative war was not uncommon in those days. It happened often. What didn't happen is that both parties actually abided by, by who won. For if you're on the losing side, you weren't just going to give up so easily. So usually war would break out after something like that took place. But... The momentum from the fight of the one-on-one often carried through and helped them win the day. So the Israelite army, they take one look at Goliath, and they are scared to death. Now, depending on the translation, uh, Goliath was described as either being 9 feet 9 inches or 6 feet 9 inches. And and even at the lesser 6 feet 9, in that day, not only in this day, but especially in that day, he would be incredibly tall. The account gives the details of, of Goliath's armor. It goes through the, the details. It almost seems impregnable. And, and, and the weaponry that he had, the spearhead, the spearhead alone weighed 15 pounds. That's the size, almost the size, of an Olympic shot put that you would be throwing through the air. 
Goliath is not huge. Goliath is, is Ripley's believe it or not huge. He is big. He is strong. He is mean. He's got a nasty streak to him, and he is an intimidating figure. Saul himself, we, we heard last week, when, when Saul was chosen as king as part of our reading, he was, he was head and shoulders above all the other men. But compared to Goliath, Saul doesn't even come close. Nobody in their right mind wants to fight Goliath. And uh, David's oldest brothers, they're off fighting this war. David's job was to go to the battlefield from home, bring food to his brothers, and, and deliver messages to them. Uh, what he did most of the time is he was the one who cared for the sheep of the household. He's sent to take divisions to his brothers, and he comes near the front line, and David sees what's going on. He hears this Goliath character come out and begin to taunt Israel and begin to taunt God and to say all kinds of things, looking for a man to fight him. He, he's been coming day after day after day. Everyone has killed him. No one has volunteered to take him on. And then when, along comes David, his father sending him with the groceries. To Israel, to the army, to Saul, Goliath is a giant. He is huge. But it's interesting to David, not so much. David doesn't seem to be overwhelmed. In fact, he volunteers that, that he'll go fight God or fight Goliath because God is with him. He's so confident that God will protect him and, and lead him into victory. There doesn't seem to be any other volunteers. David convinces Saul that because he's pretty good at killing animals, you know, he protects the sheep along the way, he's pretty good at get killing these animals, that, that he can go and he can take on Goliath. And, and Saul lets him. And I, and I don't know if he convinces him because of, of his speech or because he's really the only one who has volunteered to go. But Saul agrees. Saul wants to send him with his own armor. And so Saul takes the kingly armor and he gives it to David, but it's so big and it's so bulky, it doesn't work at all for him. He can't walk around in it. He, he, he's not going to win in hand-to-hand -hand combat. No one is against Goliath anyway. So David sees another way. He sees a different way. He takes his sling and five smooth stones. Apparently he only thought it would take five, but really in actuality he just takes one. And he gathers them from the stream bed. Goliath has a spear, he has a javelin, he has a sword, he has armor, and he has a shield. Not only does he have that, he has, a, has an armor bearer, a whole other guy who, who's carrying a shield bearer who's going before him. It's like his assistant. So it's really two against one. And, and in fact, if you, uh, if you add it up, uh, as nasty as uh, Goliath is, twice as big, twice as strong, twice as mean as your average man, I suppose the odds are a little more like three against one. But it doesn't matter. Poor David uses one well-placed stone. There's a lot of things to learn in this story. Here's, here's an aside maybe to look at for a moment. The role of Jesse. He is David's father. He is the father of these eight boys. Three of them are off to war. Jesse is advancing in years, but he still loves and cares for his children. In fact, he still sends care packages to his boys who are out fighting. And, and you notice what he did? This is just kind of a little bonus lesson here. He sends keys for the commander. Always a good idea. Send keys along for the commander. It always, it's always a good gift to give. Jesse, um, he gives the responsibility to his son David. David usually is the one who is caring for the sheep, the family's part of the family's livelihood, but, but uh, he sends him off to see his siblings who are fighting. David has learned by his experiences. His father has taught him well. He has raised a son of courage and integrity. And when the time comes for the stuff of life, David is ready. 
Jesse has helped to prepare him for this moment. Many of us have been fortunate enough to have fathers who loved us and provided for us and taught us and, and raised us up to be a people who seek after God's heart, to seek after the, 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 the things of life that are, that are God's stepping stones. And many of us are doing our best to try to be the kind of fathers, no matter what age our kids are, to lead them and prepare them to be a people who follow after God. One of the things that strikes me about David is that he's able to see things differently than other people. Goliath it was extremely intimidating, there's no doubt about that. But, the, but Israel's real handicap was not their lack of size, it was their lack of vision. They only saw two options, and neither of them was good. They could either fight according to Goliath's rules, or they could just lay down and they could surrender. Those were the only two things that they saw. But David's genius was that he refused to be trapped in an, in an either-or kind of thinking. He saw a different way. Nobody could beat Goliath in hand-to-hand combat, so David saw another option, to stay away from a safe distance. I, I think, actually, it's such a great, uh, it's a great way. I think Muhammad Ali copied David's strategy. Built like a butterfly and swing like a bee. David was willing to see possibilities that nobody else saw. I think a lot of the problems that we face in life can be that way. This is, this is not just the story of those that are engaged in combat. The lessons, the lessons that we apply uh, apply to a whole host of the giants in our life that we face. But so often we have limited vision. As it appears to us, we, we have uh, to live the way the powers to be tell us, or we can give up. We, we have problems that seem to be so overwhelming, we don't know what to do. And yet, and yet if we will just look a little further, in fact, if we, will, if we will look for God's help, often he finds another way. But make no mistake, you and I, we all have giants that we face. They come in all kinds of names. Names like alienation, financial worries, a search for purpose or need for security. Divorce, abuse, unemployment, loss, dealing with change, health issues, retirement, estrangement from loved ones, getting an education, loneliness, and you and I could keep adding to that list that could go on and on. Our giants are not all the same, but all of us have giants. Sometimes we may feel trapped by them. We can fall into the trap of doing things the way they have always been done. Maybe, maybe we need to look at a new approach. Maybe we need a broader vision. Maybe, maybe we, we don't need a spear or armor. Maybe, maybe we just need a few smooth stones because with a few smooth stones from God, anything seems possible. David saw another way of handling the situation, but Saul almost messed it up. He gave him this, this armor to wear. He tried it on. He could hardly move it. It was useless. Fortunately, David dumped the armor and went with his own strength the talents that God gave him. God gave him all the things that he needed, speed, agility, and accuracy, all the things that he needed to, to answer the task God had already given him. It strikes me that when it comes to life, that sometimes we might be trying to wear someone, someone else's armor, and it can weigh us down. What I mean by that, someone else's armor, is, is we might be living with the expectations that others place on us. We might be carrying around the heavy weight of guilt or fear or hatred that we have learned from others. David was smothered by Saul's armor. He had to be who God created him to be, not someone else. David used the gifts that he had, 
He used the skills that he had developed, that his, that his father and others had poured into him. Remember in our, in our readings from, from the previous week, when, when they, they bring all of, of the sons together, uh, David isn't there. They have to go find him. He's, he's out tending the sheep. Apparently, this extra time with the sheep is going to come in a little handy uh, here with Goliath in a moment. David was creative in looking at the problem. He didn't try to become someone else. He, he was himself, and David chose to place his faith in God. In the battlefield, Goliath laughed at David. He cursed at him. He called him all kinds of names. But, but you remember what David cried. Rachel read it to us. You come to me with sword and spear and javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. This very day, the Lord will deliver you in my hand. When you first look at the story, David seems kind of like a, maybe a cocky kid. And, but yet when you get right down to it, you recognize that his confidence is not in himself. His confidence is in the God that he serves. When we face those giants, the giants that confront us, we need to be remembered, be reminded that we, we don't have to be people who face that in our own strength. In fact, we don't have the strength. And yes, it takes the willingness to act. And yes, it takes creativity to see things in, in different ways. And yes, it takes determination and, and faith. But more than anything, it takes placing ourselves in the hands of God. I think that that's part of the point of the that the story is trying to make as we think about God's story and how it looks into our story, that, that victory, if we're trying to get victory for ourselves, we usually end up failing. But victory belongs to God. David and Goliath is such a well-known story because it's so dramatic. It seems so unlikely. This boy who defeats this giant so decisively, it's a story that brings hope and a story that brings inspiration. But it can also be a story that's hard. It can also be a story that when we look at our own lives, and we look at our own families, and we look at our own communities, and we look at our church, and we look at, we look at our world, so often we see Goliath crushing David over and over again. So often the giants that you and I face, they don't fall so easily or so quickly. Let's face it, the, the world is full of Goliaths. The biggest and the baddest and the most connected and the most powerful generally have things turn out their way. In the real world, loss and failure and difficulty and tragedy can sometimes seem to just constantly be on our steps. What about all those times when the giants seem to be getting the job done? It may be that we need to redefine what it is to overcome the obstacles of God and the trials that we face. That, that we won't always turn them away as easily as, as Goliath was defeated. The storm might not always calm in an instant. And, and, and the giant could be all kinds of things. The difficulties of life, the difficulties of family, could even be something like cancer, for an example. What might it look like to defeat Goliath in that? We, we can pray for healing. We can have faith in God's care. We can go through the treatments. We can go through the, the difficulties of life. And sometimes that works. Sometimes it goes away. Sometimes the things we face fall. Sometimes Goliath can be defeated in that. But if we think that's the only way to have victory is for our circumstances to get better, then we're wearing somebody else's armor. If we think that that's the only way that things turn out right is if everything turns out right, then we're trapped in an either-or kind of thinking that the rest of the Israel army is suffering. See, living our life not in the swords and armor, not in money and possessions, not in health, but living in our faith 
there's a sense in which David already won before he even got on the battlefield. There's a sense that, that he was one who was faithful and confident even before he walked out there. Others around him were terrified. He was calm and collected. Others cowered. He stood up. When others were overcome by worry and what if, he was confident. Whether it came to a fight or not, to live with that kind of confidence, with that lack of fear, can be a great victory. You see, the battle is won not when the circumstances change. The battle is won when we recognize God is with us in the circumstances. David trusted in something greater than the Goliath that seemed to be the giant. You know, honestly, I almost skipped a chunk this morning. There are some things in our reading. There were lots of things in our reading this week that we could have talked about. There's some things in David's life that would, would be great things to talk about, and, and, and I almost skipped it. Mostly because you might have been able to tell the story better than I, and it's a story that is so familiar with all of us. It's a story that we've heard countless times. Is there really anything new going on here? And then I was reminded that just because I know something doesn't mean I've actually lived it. Just because I know something to be true doesn't mean I've actually lived it. And the times that I do learn it and the times I think I've got it, it's not very long before I seem to forget it. Am I alone in that? See, I think some of the best lessons of our lives are the ones that we have to revisit again and again and again. There's a reason we start telling this to kids when they're little. This is packed full of all kinds of truth. It is not one of those stories of God in which we've learned and we've moved on. I could check that off and I can go to the next slide. I'm reminded that just because I know doesn't mean I always do. And then some of your faces come to mind for me in that. Families and individuals and people, some of you who are facing trials. I'm facing trials. Dare I say that all of us are facing some kind of giant. And if you aren't facing a giant in this very moment, am I too pessimistic to say, hold on, he's going to call you out shortly. someone was to ask you and you were to you were to answer honestly where are the restless thoughts where are the hurting thoughts where what are those giants in your life and giants they come in all kinds of shapes and sizes some some are bigger than others what would you say see i don't think that there's a problem or a concern or a giant big enough can't be faced if God is with us in the battle. See, David refused to be trapped by the situation. He saw a creative solution. He refused to be weighed down by someone else's armor. He used the skills and the resources that he had. He, he chose to be who he was, and his faith was not in the sword. His faith was in God. Friday, I sat at my desk thinking and reading about a couple of giants that I face in my life, giants who keep me up at night sometimes. And I thought about David's declaration to Goliath. You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. This very day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. 
you know, I just began to read that over and over and over again. You come to me with sword and spirit and ja- a spear and javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And I began to ask God to give me the victory over those giants that are too big for me to conquer. Those giants that I am ill-equipped. Those giants that I don't have the armor for. Those giants that are far beyond anything that I could even begin to think about taking on myself. And you know, as I began to think about that and began to give those things to him and began to trust him for those giants in my life, you know what happened? The giants didn't go away. But they had way less power than I did. My circumstances didn't change. But I was reminded that I am in the midst of a journey with the God who created me, who says to me today, you come with sword and spear and javelin, I come in the name of the Lord of hosts. And it teaches me how to fight. What you've learned in life can be taught. David's giant was defeated by something as small as a rock, because it was never about the rock. It was about a God who could take the smallest of things and do things far greater than we could ever imagine. You come to me with sword and spear and javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. I invite the musicians to come. We're going to close our time together this morning by singing great old hymns of the church that remind us remind us of the presence of God in the midst of the darkness. Remind us that as we gather in this place, we're here to holy, with his holy name. And yet I wonder this morning. I wonder if in the midst of that, just because we know something doesn't mean we always the Goliath and the rock. I want to invite you this morning. But as we sing, I want to invite you if you want to. I want to invite you. There are, there are these stones that are on the altar in front of us. I want to invite you to come as we sing. As a, as a, as a symbolic act that, that says, God, I can't take on these giants in my life without you. Just because I know that it's true doesn't mean I always act on it. And maybe there needs to be a a, a public statement from me to God that says, God, I need you. I need you in the midst of this. And I want to invite you. I want to invite you to come and take one of those rocks and take it with you. I want you to take it out of here. I want you to put it in the cup holder of your car or in the bottom of your purse. I I want it to be somewhere that when you face the giant that that you're in the midst of facing, you you see that. You, You go back to it this week. And you're reminded that, God, you are enough for whatever I face. And I cannot do this on my own. I have got to do it with you. You are the God who gives victory. You come with spear, uh, with sword and spear and javelin, but God says, I'm the Lord of hosts. Which battle are you going to fight? I don't know what God wants to do this morning, but I am convinced he wants to do something. I don't know what he wants to do in you, but I am convinced he wants to do something in you. 
we all have these things. We get to make choice. We get to make a choice that says, I'm going to do this in my own strength, or I'm going to do it in the strength of the God who created me. I don't know about you, but I spend way too much time chasing the giant in my own strength. And I need to be reminded of a God with a rock in God, anything is possible. I need to be reminded of a, of a God who's got me and the circumstances might not always change, but he's with me. If you want to make that yours today, if that's you, if Spirit's talking to you, if you want to make that statement to God and say, you know what? I need you in my life. I'm just going to invite you to come, take a walk as we sing. You can pray here, you can pray at your seat, but just right now, the world will come at you with sword and spear and javelin. God says, call upon me. And I'll be with you. Listen to the voice of your soul. Come and take a walk. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God. Yeah.
holy ground. And we stand here in holy ground. And we invite you, as your spirit has spoke to us, we invite you to lead us. To lead us through the minefields of, of the journey. To be the God who directs us in and out of the giants, and more than anything, the God who is with us in the midst of them. God, we invite you to take us deeper than we have gone. To help us to trust you at new levels. To, to come to a place in our life of recognizing that, that every step of the journey, we, we need you. So, Father, today, as we get ready to leave this place, we thank you that you have been with us. But, but what we want is for you to go with us. For if you don't go, there's no sense in us going. We need you every moment of every day. In amongst the circumstances, the stuff. I, God, I pray for the giants that are represented in this room. I pray for the situations that seem somewhat overwhelming. I, I pray for, for wisdom. I pray for next direction. But God, today I pray for a peace that is beyond understanding. I pray for a, a peace that is greater than some have felt in a long time. Because while the circumstances might not have changed, they're reminded that you go with them. That you are the God who is not shaken by the circumstances we face. Oh God, this week, may we find joy in you. May we find peace in the midst of our stuff. May we be a people who shine out because we've been changed from the inside out. And may we give you all the honor and glory. We ask it in your precious name.